The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first show of the year. It is January 3rd. 2023 for the uh, the podcasters and uh, hey you know i just want to uh, say merry christmas happy new year hope it was all good for you all and um i do know that sometimes it's not but <laughs> for those of you who had a great one i, I you know just rejoice and those who struggled uh keep your eyes on jesus if you want to give me a call we have four open lines eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six if you're new to the show and you're wondering what it's about uh this show deals with the issue of um uh, of apologetics a defense of the christian faith and that's what we do we we work to defend the faith to explain christian theology doctrine talk about mormonism jehovah's witnesses christian science unity baha'i islam atheism evolution ufos the occult Christian theological perspectives, all kind of stuff. We talk about all kinds of stuff. So that's what uh, that's what's going on. By the way, a couple things here. Yesterday, the second was the 18-year anniversary of me doing radio five days a week. I've been doing this for five days a week for 18 years. Now, aside from a couple of vacations here and there, that kind of stuff, and uh, and then when we switched networks, I was off for about two or three weeks. But uh, other than that, 18 years I've been doing radio, and two years before that, one day a week. So officially, about 20 years of radio I've done. And um, People uh, say I have a radio voice and also a face for radio as well, so it works out perfectly. And if you want, you can give me a call, 877-207-7276. Um, well, by, by the way, uh, for those of you who uh, participated in the end of year matching funds drive i want to say thank you very much it really has helped us and we've talked to the uh the matching funds guy and uh he was very pleased uh so uh, we got our bills covered for a month or two <laughs> and uh we just continue to hope that god brings stuff in as as the year goes by we continually trust him so uh you know praise god for him and for you you know and and um Thank you again, and all sincerity. What I'm going to be doing is calling people periodically, just saying thanks for uh, supporting us. You know, if we have your phone number and things like that, and uh, just saying thanks because it's nice. You know, and we do appreciate it. We want you to know that we appreciate it. So thank you very much. Now, one other thing, what was I was going to say? I'm going to be, in late July. I'll be down in Southern California. Uh, I've got a, a memorial service to go to, so I'll be down there. I'm going to take a few extra days, and if people want me to speak down there, I think I will. Um, maybe drive down there. I can't afford. It's the car rentals. I was checking. It's like seven hundred dollars for you know for a week, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's amazing. All right, so I think that's about it. There was something else, but I can't remember what it is. Uh, no big deal. If you want to give me a call, eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. All right, let's get on the air with Dave from California. Dave, welcome. You're on the air, buddy. Hey, uh, quick hey. side note, if you're planning for that trip to California, you might want to set another 700 aside for gas. 
Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it is. It's pretty bad. So, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I have this older car that gets 30 miles of a gallon. It doesn't have cruise control on it. It's noisy. One of the air vents doesn't work, and the FM or the AM doesn't work on it. But, hey, if I had to take it, that's what I'll do, and at least it runs well. So, you know, that's okay. Oh, yeah. Got to raise that that. Anyway, because oh, yeah. um, I have heard you and Andrew Rappaport go back and forth on Asianism, and right. mm-hmm. I do agree a lot of I like points on both sides. However, I feel my view is kind of schizophrenic in that <laughs> on how things line up. I don't know if that's the yeah. right way to say it because I agree mm-hmm. with you on the I have no idea where they get the conclusion that the perfect is the scripture. Right. The canon. I, I, <clears throat> I don't follow that logic, but I also do agree with their point that the miraculous is associated with Revelation or the revealing of scripture to validate a messenger. Sure, it is. Uh, I agree. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so I, I agree with both of those things, but the thought that crossed my mind recently when mulling it over was would that, would the station of the sign gifts be a witness test, say, for the Antichrist for? performing signs and wonders, if those signs have ceased and he's doing them, would that be an indication for that? Indication. I don't know if that makes sense. What do you mean for that? You mean using the Antichrist to justify the continuation of the gifts? Uh, as him performing and being a sign that he is. Because if the that, signs that he, have ceased, that he is what? The Antichrist? Yeah. Well, not only that, you see, in Matthew seven twenty two and 23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name? And he says, get away from me, I never knew you. So it won't just be the Antichrist who can do the miraculous. There's going to be a lot of people who say they're Christians who are going to do the miraculous who are never saved. Now, that doesn't prove the continuation of the gifts is there or not there. It just means that uh, you can't say because the Antichrist does them that they're valid or invalid. It's just, uh, you know just wouldn't work that way. Okay. Because okay. that was just something that crossed my mind that if he's going out and doing these things, if, it ha- if we were to take the position of a cessationist where they are not present anymore. Well, he would just say that they could hold to cessationism and then say, but the, the devil's just doing false miracles by the demonic power. That's all. And that would be consistent with cessationism. Yeah. And I'm with you. I do, I do not. Well, I do know how they get to the idea the perfect is the Bible. They get to the idea the perfect is the Bible because the gifts have ceased. That's how they get it. Yeah. It's it's not because the perfect is the Bible. That's why the gifts have ceased. The gifts have ceased. That's why it's the completion of the canon. So they they are reading into the text. I mean, come on. You know, and it says you're not to lack any charismatic gift while you're waiting for the return of Christ. First Corinthians one seven, and the perfect is the return of Christ. That's what's going on. Their arguments are weak, and then it would invalidate large portions of the, of the New Testament. And you know, seek for these gifts. Oh, it doesn't mean for that. You know, it was only meant for the uh, for the Corinthians. You know, it's just it, it's a weak position. And plus, that means that John Knox, George Wisher, John Fleming wouldn't be allowed to speak in their church because they exercise these gifts. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really irked about it, and, and the reason is, there's a couple of reasons. One, I lost my pastorate over the issue, and I wasn't treated properly. I wasn't treated fairly over it, and I wasn't. I'm over it. I'm over it. You know, it's not a problem. 
But it, that's what opened the door for me to really seriously study this over the years. And I have. I'm absolutely convinced that the cessationist position is just bunk, period. I don't, I don't affirm it. I deny it. That's not to say that, you know, people who hold it, are, you know, they're, they're brothers in Christ. No big deal. I don't have any problem with that. I can work with people who are cessationists. But when they start developing a film and documentary of why they're done, why the gifts aren't there, and I know the guys or part of the guys, some of the guys who are doing it, and they haven't contacted me to see if they want to give another position, that causes me uh, concern. You know? Yeah. Another thought I had on the topic, and I don't know if this one is valid or not, or how it, how strong it is, I always think back to um, the parable of Lazarus and the rich young man, where the statement of they have Abraham and the prophets, they have Moses and the prophets, listen mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. You know, but if they won't believe the prophets, then they're not going to believe a miracle. I've always kind of viewed that as an example as to why you don't see the overtly supernatural in the West so much as you would say in Africa where you know we've got you we've got bill craig we've got you know all this other stuff we don't need we have you know logos software we have everything we could need to answer the questions so we don't need to have you know somebody coming out and doing these things right i agree with you i agree with you that's why there's just rule them out because of that yeah, we got to be careful, though. We don't want to make doctrine out of experience. But uh, since the Bible does not teach that the gifts have just ceased with the completion of the canon, the perfect is not that. It's it's return of Christ. Um, then you know, then I look at those things. I say, yeah, yeah there, there's truth there, and there's plenty, plenty of of uh, of, of accounts of people who are solid Christians who see the miraculous happen. And it's what we can do, say, oh, they're all wrong. Well, you know, it's like I said, the reason the perfect means uh, it's the completion of the Bible, because they're cessationists. And that's what the issue is. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, that was my question, is see how far I could take that or how I could uh, apply it. Anyway. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I'd be careful about it, but, but I do understand. Now, I have a, a website where... Um, you know, as you know, I'm reformed in my theology. It's called CalvinistCorner.com. I got to contact the guys and get a, uh, a secure, security certificate installed. And so it says it's not secure, but I put the site up and it's just sitting there. And uh, I have an, uh, an article called Experiential Calvinism and the Charismatic Gifts. And I go through the argument out of First Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. And I cite uh, how the phrase, you know, to be known is used and face to face is used to see what God says. And, um, for example, because we've got nobody waiting right now, check this out. It says, when the perfect comes, then we'll see face to face. So if the per- if the perfect is the completion of the Bible, then does this make sense? That that's what we're going to see face to face? Well, I don't think so. And when you look at how the phrase face to face is used, I mean, I'll read you the, every single instance in the Bible. It says, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. That was Exodus, uh, or excuse me, Genesis 32:30, Exodus 33:11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as the man spoke with his friend. 
Numbers 12.8 with Moses, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5.4, the Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire in the mountain. Jeremiah 32.4, Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape out of the hands of the Babylonians, but will certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon and will speak to him face to face and see him with his own eyes. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, when face to face with you, but bold went away. Third John 12, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, just as your joy may be complete. And finally, in uh, uh, Third uh, John 14, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. So when the Bible comes, when the, if the completion of the canon, it, you know, the perfect is the Bible, is that when we, talk, we see God face to face? It makes no sense. It just is not consistent yeah, without Scripture. It doesn't. It, it just, you know. But if if it's a return of Christ, now that makes sense. We'll see him face to face. I got it. And so it, the perfect, like I said, the perfect is the completion of the canon because they're cessationists. And this gets me because when people, this always has gotten me. I don't care who it is, Calvinist, non-Calvinist, Lutherans, non-Lutherans. I don't care who it is. When you start raising something up and you you push it to the point of dividing the body of Christ, that to me is a serious problem. And if you're going to do a documentary on it, it better be equal and and uh, well presented on both sides, and then let the viewer decide at that point. And that's what needs to happen. Okay, I don't believe this what's going to happen with this documentary. All right, buddy, there's a break. Okay, all right, man. Have a good one. You too. God bless. Hey, folks, five open lines. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. Give me a call. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Welcome back to the show. We have five open lines. If you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. By the way, if you are interested in emailing me uh, a question, all you have to do is just go to info at karm.org, and you can uh, just email me some uh, some stuff there. You can say, hey, you know, I don't want to talk on the phone. Maybe you're driving. You just want to do an email. I don't know. Well, not driving. You know, pull over or whatever. But if you want to do that, uh, all you're going to do is that. Okay, easy to do. Hope uh, to hear from you if you are curious and you want to email me a question. That's all you got to do. Uh, okay. All right, sorry. All these things coming in. We have nobody waiting. 877 So the caller was talking about cessationism. And what that is, for those who don't know, is uh, the charismatic gifts. Have they ceased? And um, some people say yes, and some people say no. Within uh, both those camps are variations of uh, which gifts have ceased or not ceased or can or cannot be used. Now, one of the things we have to be careful of and understand is that uh, the sign gifts that are used by the apostles, uh, that's one grouping of gifts, but I like to associate them with the apostles. The apostles were specifically given authority by God, by Jesus. And they would go around, and they would raise the dead. 
they would heal people because they had the authority to do so. Now, I believe that aspect stopped with those apostles because the authority that Christ gave them was specific, was to them alone. So they were equipped with it because Christ pointed them, appointed them, excuse me, and sent them out to uh, further the kingdom in his name and in his authority. So they were gifted by Christ with certain abilities. And I have an article on this. Uh, dealing with the authority uh, in fact it's in relation to the authority of the roman catholic church because uh in catholicism this is just part of the issue is that uh they say that they have the authority of christ by apostolic succession and what i've done is go through and uh looked at the issue of uh of authority out of matthew 10 because what Jesus did was he sent the disciples out, gave them authority to cast out demons and heal. And then I have uh, the references in the article that deals with Paul, Peter, uh, I don't know if it was John, I forgot who. And they were uh, doing, they were commanding uh, certain things to occur, and, it, and they did occur. So the Catholics don't have the same authority because they can't do the same thing. They don't have the authority. That's another issue. And so related to this is the issue of... Um, of the charismatic gifts so are they for today or not well the ones that the apostles had the way that they had no those are gone but what about the issue of for example speaking in tongues when you go to first corinthians 12 uh, it's really interesting because of what the bible says now think about this if the charismatic gifts have ceased then let's look at this see now concerning spiritual gifts brother i do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by the mute idols, however they were led. You were led. Therefore, I make known to you that uh, no one is speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. He goes on, he says, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. The word gifts there is charismata, and it's the charismatic gifts. So there are a variety of charismatic gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, the same God who works all things uh, in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, if the charismatic gifts have ceased, then would it be the case that it's not that each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit? Because he's talking about charismatic gifts. If the cessationist wants to say, no, it's not talking about the charismatic gifts, it's talking about just giftings of the Spirit. Well, that can't be. Because the gift of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit, is one thing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's Hebrews, I mean, uh, Ephesians 5, or Galatians 5.22. And it says the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The word fruit there in Greek is karpos, and it's singular. Not karpoi, it's karpos, it's singular. Well, anyway, so to each one, in First Corinthians 12.5, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the wisdom, uh, the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, this is what he's talking about here. It's the manifestation of the Spirit in the context of the charismatic gifts. So what the cessationists would have to do is say, well, this is only for the Corinthian church, for example, or maybe the churches at that time. So it would say then to you or to one who's given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, it only meant for that period of that time, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another by faith the same Spirit, and other gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So they would say all of those are just for that time. 
and to another the effecting of miracles and prophecy and distinguishing spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. But one of the same spirit works all these things and distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So what they would be saying is <coughs> that the gifts have ceased and all of these things are no longer applicable. So what we could do is print up, for example, 1 Corinthians 12, and then what we could do is uh, is cross out the verses that don't have application for today. Now, they would respond by saying, well, it, no, we can learn the principles that they have. It's still applicable today. Well, if they want to say that, that well, all this is, even though it's not applicable today, the lessons uh, of unity and stuff are what's applicable. All right, then we jump over to 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now that, then, if they would have to say, well, that, that's only for the Corinthian church or the churches of the time. Then he goes on, for he who speaks in a tongue speaks to men and to God. Well, I'm sorry, but now we can't say, seek that you prophesy, because that would not be for us. So you got to cross that out, because it doesn't apply to us today. That seek, pursue it, seek that you could prophesy. Cross it out because it doesn't apply literally to us today. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands but his spirit. Uh, in his spirit he speaks mysteries. That's not for today. Cross it out. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, edification exhortation, and consolation. Cross them out. They're not applicable today. Now, the cessationists will say, well, you can understand. Those things were for then, and, and what we can learn today is that it was done for edification. That's what's going on. Great, I accept that. Certainly we can learn from that. But still is true. It says pursue love. Is that for today? Yes. And it says earnestly desire spirituals. Actually, what it is is pneumaticos uh, in Greek. Spirituals, like spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. Is that uh, for today? Well, no. So pursue love is for today, yet desire that you prophesy is not for today, right? So the pursue love, we don't cross out, but desire that you prophesy, we do cross out because it's not applicable today. If you want to say that does, that uh, the lesson of prophesying back then was okay, then, it was, then is it the lesson of pursuing love is also what's there? Or does it apply for us today? This is where it becomes problematic because all of a sudden, now what they're doing is hopscotching between what applies and what doesn't apply based on their presupposition that the gifts have ceased. Why? Because when the perfect comes, the imperfect will be done away with. And the they and because they're cessationists, the perfect has to be the uh, completion or excuse me, the completion of the canon. You know, I just get frustrated with this kind of stuff. I do, you know. Come on. God can do what he wants. He's not restricted by our dispensational ideas that the gifts have ceased. I don't buy it. But there you go. I just stepped on toes. Four open lines if you want to give me a call. 877-207-2276. Be right back. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you want to give me a call, for open lines, 877-207-2276. Want to hear from you. Give me a call. All right, let's get to Paul from North Carolina. Paul, welcome. You are on the air. Yes, uh, Matt, uh, first of all, a blessed New Year to you. You too. Mm -hmm. I have a question uh, concerning uh, 
I've heard some, some different uh, things concerning uh, how God feels about uh, sinners. And uh, I've heard some say that uh, we, we, we generally think that God loves sinners based on John 3, 16 and stuff like that. But I've heard other uh, uh, preachers and teachers say also, on the other hand, but there's also a part of God that hates sinners, you know, so I'm, I'm, it seems contradictory. So uh, I need some clarification as to whether God actually loves or hates Sure, no problem at all. So first thing let's do, let's look at scripture. Psalm 5.5 The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. That's Psalm 5.5. Here's Psalm 11.5 The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So we have two scriptures right there, Psalm 5.5 and Psalm 11.5, where it says uh, that God hates the one who loves violence, and God hates the one who do iniquity. Now, this is talking about, you know, some bad people here. And yet, mm. you, know, you mentioned John 3.16, God's love the world. Uh, that's all the nation groups. What's a better verse to contrast, or better pericope, would be Matthew 5.43, starting uh, there uh, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous for if you love those who love you what reward do you have not even the tax gatherers do the same if you greet only your brothers, what more are that you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles uh, do the same? Therefore, you're to be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. So the context here is that you're to be loving the way God is loving. He loves everybody. Okay, so now we have a bit of a contradiction, but not really. Because the kind of love that God is talking about in Matthew 5, 43-48 is a love of provision that is given to all and that he is kind to all and patient to all, even the wicked. But at the same time, he can hate those who do iniquity. So imagine that you have a, a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, you know, children get married, whatever it is. And um, uh, at the same time, you hate, let's say, a son-in-law. You hate how he treats your daughter, let's say. And yet, at the same time, you show him love and patience and kindness. You're doing both, which seem to be contradictory, at the same time. But there's different senses and different aspects. So God definitely does hate those who love sin and love iniquity. But on the other hand, God can also show love to them by providing for them and not killing them right away. Because he lets the sun shine on them and the rain shine on them. And this is a kind of love that is spoken of by Jesus himself in Matthew 5. Plus, we know that 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Okay, so God is love. We get it. This means it's his nature to be loving. And that's why, you know, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. So here's another thing. If he hates those who, you know, because it says in Psalm 5, 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. And then Psalm 11, 5, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Yet, Jesus says in John fifteen thirteen, he says that uh, greater love has no man than this, but he lay his life down for his friend. Okay, wait a minute. 
Now we have two things to talk about here. He's laying his life down for his friend. What about his enemies? Now that's a question. Because there were enemies. Now some would say, yes, he laid his life down for the enemies. Well, we could make a case yes and no to that. That's just an interesting side note discussion. But for the most part, we could say, well, yeah, there are people who hated him that became Christians. Like Paul the Apostle, for example. So can we say that Jesus uh, exemplified the greatest act of love by sacrificing himself for others, even those who hate them? Yes. Even those who loved iniquity? Yes. So God can love someone and hate them at the same time because of the difference between them, not that one excludes the other, but that both can exist in different senses at the same time in the same being. God can hate the sinner for doing what he's doing and really hate him and yet also show him love and therefore be loving by sacrificing himself for him. So both are possible. That help? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I, th- I thought they were ex- exclusive uh, of each other. You couldn't have one or the other. You couldn't have both at the same time. You can't. Okay, a contradiction occurs when one statement means another statement is impossible and they are in the same uh, reference at the same time in the same way. And that's the critical right. issue. So if it's meant that he can only hate people who do iniquity, and that's all it means, then we would have a contradiction. If it meant to hate them means only hate, and there's no other option, then, then right. that would be a contradiction. But the, when it says he hates them, it doesn't negate the idea that he can also show love to them, especially when Jesus teaches that that's the case, when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Your enemies. The enemies of the people of God are often enemies of God. So that your sons in, uh, of your father who is in heaven, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends on the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So he is blessing and showing love, that's the context, what Jesus is saying, to the evil and the good, and the righteous and the unrighteous. So in a different sense, he's loving them. And to love someone doesn't mean you can't also hate certain aspects about them or hate certain qualities about them. So that, you know, this is why uh, we get more differentiation in it. But it's a good question, though. I hope that's a good enough answer for you. Uh, it is, yeah. It's going to clarify some things. Uh, you have time for one more question? Sure. Sure, man. There's nobody waiting right now, so it's all you. Uh, okay. Uh, this is one other thing that puzzled me. Uh, I was reading in the Gospel of Mark in the uh, sixth chapter uh, okay. where Jesus uh, walks on Jesus walks on water. Yes. And uh, the disciples were in the boat. And it says uh, in verse 48 that Jesus saw that they were in trouble, uh, struggling with the uh, wind and the waves. Uh, and so he, he comes walking on the water towards them. And the thing that, the thing that puzzles me is where he gets to uh, uh, verse uh, 48, where he says that about 3 o'clock in the morning he came toward them walking on the water. And it says he intended to go past them. Uh, and I, 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 I don't understand... Why is that? Why, why, why did Jesus intend to go right past the disciples when he knew that they were in trouble? That's a good question. I'm not exactly sure. Let me take a look here. Uh, let's see. Intended to pass them. I'm going to look at the word intended. Uh, 
a selen and uh, to will, wish, desire, imply active volition and purpose. All right, uh, from from Thaleo, uh, from to will or desire. So that's good. So you know, I I remember reading that, going, why would that be the case? I don't have a great answer. So what I want to do is just talk out loud, see if we can kind of work through it. Okay. It could be. Now, when it says intended, it seems to mean that, that the writer, Mark, knew the intention of Christ in his own heart. Now, that would be problematic because the only way for him to know that would be as if Christ revealed it to him uh, verbally or gave it the word to someone who then told it to Mark. So that's a possibility, but it doesn't seem to be the case because we would have to know that Jesus was saying, this was my intention. So I, th- I don't think that's the, that's the case. I think what's going on is that Jesus was purposely w- trying to walk past them. And why would he do that? Now, that that I don't know. Because he knew that they were in trouble. He's walking out to where they right. are as though he's going to pass them. And then right. they saw him walking on the sea. They supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out. And they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them saying, Take courage to desire, don't be afraid. So he knew. So he's walking by them as if he's going to pass them. They get afraid, and he says, don't be afraid. Like, okay, you know, if I was sitting with a cam- at a campfire with Jesus afterward, I'd say, can I ask you a question? <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure this one out. I haven't quite got it. Uh, and he would probably say something, you know, he goes, well, that's because, you know, or maybe he might say, it's not for you to know. Well, that'd be, that'd be fine. That's certainly possible. Because there's often mm-hmm. something going on that he wants to do for another reason. And right. it, and so they were afraid, and he told them not to be afraid. They should have known it was him. If he'd come straight mm-hmm. to them, maybe they'd recognize him. But if it was someone else, who would it be? Maybe he was testing them. That's what I kind of think. Right. There's the music. Oh, you got to go, okay. buddy, okay? All right. Hey, we'll talk to you later, bit. Okay, Call back if you want to get in line. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Last segment of the hour of the first show of the year. And I want to say thank you again to all those out there on the East Coast, Ohio, um, and uh, Utah, who uh, supported us at the end of your matching funds drive. Seriously, thank you. I really do appreciate it. Um, it helped, and uh, it just uh, pushed us over the hump where we need to be in order to pay some some missionaries and, and stuff like that. And I'll just say thank you a great deal. And also, just uh, I'm just keeping a little bit of... Uh, uh, of notice here, give you guys no, uh, uh, heads up. Uh, Luke Wayne, who's been with us for seven years, written a lot of articles. He's a great guy. He is moving on to another ministry, and uh, praise God for that. Not we're getting rid of him, but for him because his family and uh, they're able to offer him more than what we can. And so I just want to say thanks to Luke if he's listening, and we'll still be in contact. And you may still be hearing from him. Uh, not t- I'm the time uh, filling in. He hasn't left yet, of course, filling in. And even after he's gone, he, hey, fill in, you know, because he's a great guy. And uh, just pray for the success of his move and transition and all that goes along with that. 
Um, so praise God, and, and I'm just uh, so pleased that God uh, uh, sent Luke to us, uh, to this ministry, and, and uh, that he was uh, privileged by God to be able to serve the Lord uh, through this ministry as well. Now for another one, uh, they'll be blessed as well. All right, four open lines if you want to give me a call, 877 Noel from Virginia, welcome, you're on the air. Hey Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, okay. I wanted to talk about a certain verse that yesterday, um, it, it didn't rub me too, too well. <laughs> um, okay. And I just wanted your context and maybe elaboration on this verse. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 8. Um, okay. When John the Baptist was speaking, and he said, "Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." Mm-hmm. What about it? And I just—I um, don't know if I necessarily have a specific question. I just wanted you to elaborate in the context on it because, for me personally, um, it kind of—it it, kind of scared me because I've—I'm notorious for evaluating myself and overanalyzing and always um, tending to fall back into despair. And this verse kind of rubbed me in that way. And it's not the Word of God. So then, so then, so then why do you not have your eyes completely on Christ? Why do you Um, not have your eyes completely on Him? Why do you keep looking to things like uh, what others' failures are and then projecting on yourself. If you look to Christ and Christ alone, then you're secure in his arms. You need to picture him as the great one who is embracing you in his arms, that he's holding you, and that in his arms you're secure. As long as you're looking into his eyes, you'll be fine. But as you look to verses, you know, the fruit in keeping with repentance, he's talking to the Pharisees here, the religious hypocrites who want to condemn him, John the Baptist. It doesn't apply to you. It applies to the religious hypocrites of that day. They need to turn from their hypocrisy and their evil. And that's certainly not you. And even while you're looking away from Christ, and you're looking to other things, and even scriptures and other conditions, he's still holding you. He's not letting you go. He wants you to gaze upon him and not let uh, even these things from John the Baptist who was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It doesn't apply to you. You need to turn your head back to the one who's embracing you. You need to look into his eyes, you know, figuratively, of course. And you need to express and understand and experience the love that he has for you. That it is permanent, it's infinite, and you cannot stop it. You can't. You need to look to him. Keep your eyes on him. That makes sense? Yeah, you're, um... You're hitting a chord. 
no rather the Lord sitting in Yeah, because I know you. And I know that you uh, continually take your eyes off of Christ. And you look to other things. You even look into yourself to see how good you are. And you got to stop. You know, I mean this lovingly, you know. It's for a lot of people who look to themselves their own conditions. It's okay to examine yourself and see your failures. But you see your failures because Christ is, is alive in you. Just turn your eyes back up to him looking into you as he's embracing you and holding you and coddling you. Picture uh, him holding the way a baby would be held. But it's you. I'm not saying you're a baby. But I'm saying in the sense that Christ is embracing us and making us secure in his arms as he looks lovingly into us. And we look back and trust in him completely. So no wind, no earthquake, no accusation, no truth of your failures will ever be able to remove that. And as soon as you take your eyes off of him, then that's why you have problems. You gotta learn that, because you're. This, I'm just telling you, you're taking your eyes off of Christ. You're putting it elsewhere. So why you you struggle? Because you don't have him on Christ, and yet right. he still he still holds you and embraces you, even while you do that, because of who he is, not because of who you are. And that's another thing you gotta realize. It's not because of you that he loves you. Not your consistency. Not your repentance. Not your goodness. But in spite of all of it, and along with your failures, he loves you because of who he is. And that's what you need to do. Push everything else aside. Look at your Lord. And relax in him, in his arms, and trust him. That's what you have to do no matter what. Okay? Yeah, thank you. Um, okay. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm sorry. Um I've, um, it's just, it's been a little rough lately, so I appreciate yeah, I that. <laughs> I know you're under a great deal of stress. I know you have a child that um, may or may not survive birth, and um, I can relate to that because that's exactly what my wife went through. And so we had to endure it together. I understand. But I can tell you this, that through that, even... We never took our eyes off of Christ. Not into our circumstances, not into anything. And miraculously, even through the loss of our son, uh, he was so present and so there that we felt him to such a degree that my wife and I even have fondness for those days between uh, his birth, death, and the funeral. And the only way anybody can understand that is if they've experienced the comforting embrace of our Lord and Savior Jesus as we rested in his arms through all of it. And there was that peace inside of, even surrounding, the great pain we're going through. But he was there. And so it's a weird combination, but it's true. Because if your eyes are on him, that peace will stay there. Your eyes are off of him. Then uh, he'll let you have that. He'll let you look. 
Well, he's got you in his arms, and you glance off to the left. You're looking off to something else. He's, he'll let you. He doesn't push your head back to him. He lets you look while he's still holding you until you've had enough of what's over there. You look back to him. He's still there. This is how he is. And you need to accept that. And even as the child you're carrying and the issues that you're going through with that, that he's there. Yeah. N yeah. Never doubt it. Because he doesn't love you, Noel, because of you. He loves you because of, of him. It's not because of what he could see in you, but because of what he was, what was in him. And he chose to love you in spite of you. You know, and I mean that with a smile, you know, same thing with me. In spite of what I am, he loved me anyway. Now, why would he do that? Good question. But that's how he is. Yeah, that's, that's my, my question is why in the world? Um, thank why, you. I, what, I appreciate why what? your uh, tenderness. Why in the world what? I want to, I want to know why in the world what? what I didn't hear just why in the world would Christ choose to love somebody like me, especially just every day I do evil and um, you know I I really I say I've let go but I haven't I guess of my previous abortion and just walking through this new trial um, it's just re rearing some old wounds up, and it's you just know? hard. I relate to that more than you realize. I've had to talk about that part of my life as well. And that God will love you even though He knows everything about you. You have to understand. Remember him holding you, knowing everything about you, even the stuff you've not done, and he's chosen to love you. It's not because of you. It just is not. We can ask the question, why would he choose someone like me? Look at me. Look at all this. And it's all true. You got this wrong and that wrong. It's all true. It, all of it's true and more. We don't even know the depths of our own sin. And yet he loves us because he's God. God infinite, God in flesh, so you can trust him. And you can realize that those arms that are holding you cannot fail. They cannot fail. And his love for, for you from eternity past is infinite because he chose you in Christ, Ephesians 1, 4. And, and that means that the thoughts that he's had, the loving thoughts of you in his election and his calling you are infinite in number. This is who he is. The arms that are holding you cannot fail. You cannot be dropped. And you can look. And you can look elsewhere. But you're always in his arms. He'll never, ever, ever forsake you or leave you. It's not possible. Okay? That's what you need to focus on. Let everything else fall away. Don't worry about anything else. You let him be the Lord of your life in that area. Okay? Yes. Okay? Yes, thank you, man. You're welcome. Okay, Noel? Yep. Okay, thank you. All right. 
God bless. Well, there's a perfect timing. There is the music. May the Lord bless you. And I hope, Lord, that, uh, well, I hope that you have a great evening. And by his grace, that you'll uh, listen in and tune in tomorrow. And have a great evening, everyone. So God bless. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Another program powered by the Truth Network.